never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that would like to make a request to the person holding our voodoo doll. Could you please remove some stuffing? We're trying to lose weight. <laughs> my, my name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. <laughs> That's pretty funny. How are you, sir? <laughs> um, pretty pretty good, pretty good. I, I feel the uh, the voodoo doll stuffing, if you will. <laughs> so... <laughs> good stuff <laughs> how about yourself <laughs> i'm fantastic um it's been a bit of a week um i got to watch something new um watched a little more of a show um yeah so and then we have a ton of news to talk about <laughs> it's so, a busy week because we've had like valentine's day we've had ash wednesday um did the super bowl happen this week <laughs> i feel like there's a lot going on and i can't remember if the super bowl was this past weekend or the you know, week four <laughs> there was a sports ball contest that happened and yeah um and i think taylor swift won it <laughs> i'm not 100 percent right. sure and then I saw that Taylor Swift's boyfriend was playing a game of football at an Usher content concert. And then, right. so things happened. Yeah, uh, I was going to say Taylor Swift was winning until uh, Travis Kelsey started singing uh, Viva Las Vegas. And I think uh, the whole country lost in that situation. <laughs> but maybe Taylor Swift you know, more than everybody else. So. I don't follow football as closely as some people I know. Yeah. Um, but and I'll tell you, I usually end up watching the Super Bowl and I usually find myself very entertained and I actually enjoy watching football as a sport. I really do. I have never cared less about a Super Bowl in my entire life than this one. And yeah. it's not that I didn't care about the teams. It's not that I didn't care about the rivalry or what was on the line. I'm not I'm going to be very honest here and say all the Taylor Swift stuff made it annoying. And I'm not talking about the night of the game. I'm talking about the lead up. Like, Taylor, I know you're listening, but did anyone really care if you actually made it back from Tokyo? I don't understand how that affected anything. <laughs> I don't know about the Tokyo <laughs> situation. Well, when I heard that, I'm like, is she going to make it? I'm like, who cares? <laughs> She's not playing in it. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the part I just I was almost annoyed but you know what? Everyone likes Taylor. That's fine. You know, I like her music too. I get it. Like, <laughs> but I also was like, I don't get it. So yeah, I think it's really funny that there's all these, uh, there's a lot of crazy conspiracy theories about the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey romance. Like a lot of people are, think it's like 
it's set up just to boost like the NFL's ratings and then in turn boost Taylor Swift's ratings, which I think is really fun and hilarious to think about that stuff. And I'm not saying that that's true, but it definitely worked because from what I've heard, this is one of the most watched like Super Bowls for some time. Like Taylor Swift, as annoying as that, the presence of all that was, a lot of people watched the Super Bowl this year and like people who don't normally do it. And uh, what I appreciated about that was whether you like Taylor Swift, whether you don't, the Super Bowl this year actually felt like a big like countrywide event. Like it felt like we came together as a monoculture and in the world of, especially on our podcast, like the world of niche, nerdy, like obscure interests that we all have, it was kind of cool to see everybody come together and watch something for a change and experience something together. And of course, as soon as the game was over, everybody went back to bickering on the internet, and <laughs> all that. But it was cool that this was like a big cultural moment that I feel like we haven't had in a long time. And I, I feel like I'm wa waxing philosophically, but that's just kind of what my impression of the whole situation was. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there, I guess, to a point. I don't know. It just it was weird. <laughs> um, did you watch anything else this week aside from Super Bowl? <laughs> yeah, I watched a couple uh, super random things. Um, so I watched this movie. It came out like five or six years ago, but it is uh, streaming on Netflix. So, of course, I think it's sure. seeing a bit of a bump in viewings uh, recently. And that's uh, American Assassin. Um, have you ever checked this out before, Drew? Oh, this sounds so familiar. Who's in it? This movie. So it's starring like uh, Dylan O'Brien from uh, The Maze Runner, as well as Michael Keaton. And it's. So I don't know. I feel like this is a movie you might have watched at some point, but it might be a bit. So in that case, let me refresh your memory or not. But it's basically about this guy. Dylan O'Brien's character is on vacation with his girlfriend and he's uh, he's in Ibiza on a beach just enjoying life. And uh, he proposes to his girlfriend on the beach and almost immediately after that happens, like within minutes of him proposing, there's a, a terrorist attack on this beach and uh, it's a terrorist attack on this location. I believe specifically because it's a uh, popular like American uh, vacation spot, like a lot of Americans were at this resort or whatever. These terrorists attack, a bunch of people die um, and uh, Dylan O'Brien's fiance, like new fiance ends up getting killed right in front of him. And uh, basically what he does is he spends the next year doing hardcore training when it comes to working out, when it comes to like uh, martial arts, when it comes to shooting, when it comes to even like linguistic stuff um, like he's he basically puts himself through like this crazy super soldier beat, uh, boot camp because basically what his goal is, is he wants to infiltrate this terrorist group and he wants to take out the leader of the group he wants to take out um the person who killed his fiance and the movie kind of goes from there where he ends up infiltrating the group and uh because of what he's been doing because of online um he's been kind of followed by the nsa and the CIA, the csa because he was working on all this stuff so he basically attracts the cia's attention 
and they kind of follow him. And because he's able to infiltrate this ter- terrorist group, the CIA is able to infiltrate it as well. And uh, everything goes from there. And it's kind of the story. It's similar to the movie The Recruit, where it's kind of like you're watching because of what he was doing extracurricularly, the CIA ends up recruiting him. And uh, it's a pretty fun, like really good, suspenseful sort of film. And uh, my only the only like question I have about this movie is I imagine a lot of the. um a lot of the ins and outs of how like intelligence agencies work and stuff. I feel like a lot of that is probably fudged. A lot of that is probably not super accurate in this film, but if you are looking for like a really fun, intense, just like badass, like sort of espionage film, I think this one's pretty great. Um, Mark or uh, Michael Keaton comes in and he's kind of one of the main guys who trains uh, this main character um, as he's like being recruited into the CIA. And then you get to see some of the field work and stuff. But what I was left with with this is just it's like super fun and super um, intense. You know, it's just like a badass action movie. I don't know, Drew, did this ring a bell at all or have you not? As you're it? describing it, I'm, I'm, I can see the poster and the possible trailer like playing in my mind, but I have not seen the movie. So, OK, interesting. I thought I thought this might have been one that you've seen. But uh, yeah, yeah, definitely check it out. Like I said, my one it's I don't even know if it's a gripe. I just imagine some of the the way the CIA stuff is portrayed, I imagine is not accurate to real life at all, but it's still like a pretty fun, badass movie. And uh, it's right there on Netflix. So uh, there you go. Um, sure. We have one other thing, um, unless you had any other <laughs> questions oh, on that one. Yeah, uh, the other thing that I watched, uh, speaking of assassins, um, this was kind of random. After the Super Bowl, I was... Uh, it was one of those things where it's like after the game and you're just looking for something to kind of watch to wind down at the end of the night. And uh, I open up HBO Max and it was one of the top suggestions is this new uh, anime series called Ninja Kamui. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Like it's a one episode or something like that. Or maybe there's two out now. But when I saw it, it was only one. I just didn't have time to watch it. Yeah, yeah. So it, it is one episode. But yeah, it is. uh like it just the series just dropped. So if you want to get in on the ground floor, do it now. But it's a uh, I don't know if it was an Adult Swim or Toonami series. I think at this point, Toonami and Adult Swim are basically synonymous anyways. <laughs> yeah, but it basically dropped on Super Bowl Sunday, as far as I know. So I think episode two will be coming out this uh, coming Sunday. And oh, okay. gotcha. OK, it's basically I'm trying to think of how to describe it. This is an anime that's for people who are fans of things like Ninja Assassin or Kill Bill or Punisher. And I'd like to single out the latter two examples that I just mentioned, because this story. Here's my gripe with the series is this (laughs) story so far is not anything you haven't seen if you like Kill Bill or the Punisher. (laughs) And saying that you might know what direction I'm going with that. But this this series redeems itself in one, coolness. Like, the coolness is awesome. Two, the animation is awesome. And three, the fight scenes are just amazing. So that was kind of what I was left with. It was like, so far, the story's not the most original thing, but it's such a treat to watch. And, like, the fight scenes in this were seriously so... 
badass. And uh, just because it's basically kind of the main character's origin feels very familiar. Like it feels very much like that sort of, um, well, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil too much, but it feels a lot like Kill Bill. (laughs) But, uh, but other than that, I mean, this is just the first episode. So this series could go on to very unique, esoteric, weird places that are unforeseen. But just so far, the story felt a little familiar, but it's still it's still well done enough and cool enough to watch that I definitely think everybody should give it a chance. Uh, Drew, definitely check this one out. This I think as far as animes go, this one's right up your alley. Like I know you like the more like serious, realistic style of anime art. Okay. Yeah, fits in with that. But it has a lot of cool. Um, the fight scenes is kind of like a cool mix of like your realistic fight scene stuff as well as like the weird exaggerated animation a la like the kid like kid story from the animatrix or something like that so this was really cool and i I definitely recommend this one as well all right well that's something else to add to the list it definitely looked interesting to begin with but i was like i don't have time right now to watch it and then um i turned off hbo max (laughs) what i had to do and then here we are. So, yeah, I'll add it to the list. There's so much stuff to con- of content to, like, dig through, though. That's the rough part. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. Um, Literally it for me this week, so. Okay. Um, the I watched some more of that show, Death and Other Details. Um, oh, right. Which is really, really good. I know you like murder mysteries, so, again, I'm going to recommend it to you and say, dude, check this show out. Um, so that's, that's been great. Um, I'm at a point where I'm caught up to Hulu, so I got to wait for episodes, but you know, that's all right. Um, the thing that I did watch that's new is I watched the movie Freelance, uh, with John Cena and Alison Brie. Um, do you know about this movie? If you don't, that's okay. Um, The, uh, I saw a trailer for it a while back, like over the summer, it looked like fun. Um, I it hit Hulu, so I was like, all right, let's give this a shot. Um, essentially, John Cena is a guy who, he, he growing up, he's like, I'm going to go join the military. And he goes and joins the military, and he has a bad accident that causes him to get, sh- like, he's in the military for a while, like career soldier. And then a helicopter accident causes him to have to go home and live a normal life, and he becomes a lawyer and stuff, and he's, like, just not really digging his life. And then an old buddy calls him up and was like, hey, dude, I want you to come check a look at this thing. And ultimately, his old war buddy is trying to put together a group of freelance, like, essentially bodyguards, if you will, um, for, like, some of the guys he used to be in the military with. So he's putting together this, like, freelance bodyguard company, right? So John Cena has to go protect Allison Brie, who's a journalist, to go into this, like, foreign country to do a interview with the dictator who is like on everyone's like hit list basically. And so he goes in. So it's basically an action comedy is the best way of describing it. Um, some of the action scenes were like just top notch and some of it was just kind of okay. The humor was funny. There was some funny bits. Ultimately the movie was okay. It was definitely worth the watch, but I'm not going to like write home saying everyone needs to see this. This is, it was just kind of a fun little sit for like a couple hours and that was about it. So uh, Did you want this streaming somewhere or it's on Hulu? OK, yeah, may, maybe I'll check it out. Then it sounds like a it sounds like a fun little action comedy to. Yeah, pull an that's with. that's the thing. It's an action comedy, but it's not like like I said, some of the action sequences were a lot of fun. 
Um, but remember, I made a comment, like, I want to say a couple months ago about how John Cena, I think, could be a really amazing, like, serious action star. But he keeps doing these, like, action movies that tend to be comedies. And this is a perfect example of what I was talking about. <laughs> so it's like if you, you know, he could, I, I'm watching him on the screen. I'm like, dude, you could be the next, like, Schwarzenegger. Like, do some serious action stuff and stop, you know, do some dark, gritty stuff as opposed to, like, always doing the comedy. So I mean, he likes the comedy. That's no big deal. It's, I just think that he could be doing some serious stuff and makes turn out some really cool action movies. Just a thought. Um, right. But the movie is it is fun. It's just it ultimately at the end, I was like, eh, it's OK. Um, the <laughs> other thing, the other thing that I watched is really important we need to discuss, which is a good segue into news, is the Deadpool three trailer. I know you watched it um, and it's. It's fantastic. It made me really excited and they didn't really show enough. Um, like you wanted to see, I think we all wanted to see a little bit more Wolverine, but um, what I thought was interesting was when he started talking about how he's the Marvel Messiah, he's Marvel Jesus. And it, well, it made me laugh because there's a meta aspect to it and it's Deadpool breaking the fourth wall. Like he always does because we've been talking Peter, you and I have been talking about how Deadpool will save the Marvel Universe in terms of the films. Like, we need that movie to come out because of the growing opinion of where Marvel's headed. Like, people are not digging this Phase 4, Phase 5, whatever's going on right now with the shows. We need a movie. Deadpool's going to do it. Deadpool's going to save it. So when he's like, I'm Marvel Jesus, I'm like, yes, you are. You are literally going to save the Marvel Universe right now, not just in the fictional metaphorical way but you're also going to do it in the real life i'm going to save the box office dollars too <laughs> um which made me laugh because my original thought was when dealing with the multiverse i was like oh we're going to get to see the version we're going to get to see the film adaptation of deadpool kills the marvel universe and we've been speculating it's been my guess i think i'm dead on but i think they're going to flip it and it's going to be deadpool saves the marvel universe because of the trailer. Um, <laughs> so that, was, gonna, that would kind of make sense, especially with the uh, the TVA coming in. And yeah. uh, it seemed like he's he's plucking different characters out of different timelines to uh, bring them together towards some sort of unknown threat. And uh, I, th I think you're right. It's Deadpool saving the Marvel Universe as opposed to Deadpool killing, which uh, either way, I think could play out pretty hilariously um the one thing since i mentioned the tva this trailer shows a lot of tva stuff and yeah. uh reminds me a lot of do you remember the deadpool 2 trailer uh yeah i think so <laughs> so deadpool 2 the trailer was insane like it had it showed all these crazy clips it showed parts where deadpool's fighting against sumo wrestlers it shows deadpool fighting characters in a strip club and wearing high heels it has all these crazy parts and i remember seeing the movie in the theaters and realizing that most of that trailer showed most of the random clips in the trailer were from like the opening montage of deadpool 2 <laughs> like it was yeah. from like within the first five minutes of the film. And yep. then I went to work uh, on Monday and I, I remember telling people about how like, oh no, the trailer only shows stuff from like the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie. And people would be like, 
what? <laughs> like, what, what do you mean? And, like, you just got to watch it and you'll see. And I think this trailer does a good job of, like, I think we're getting a lot of scenes from, like, the first 20 minutes. I think the beginning of the movie is going to be very TVA-heavy. Um, they showed us a glimpse of Wolverine, but I think the movie's going to go a lot more crazy, weird, unexpected places. And uh, this is all just speculation, but I think that's what's cool about this trailer is we're going to uh, we're we have a lot more fun in store. And uh, this trailer didn't really spoil a lot. Like it kind of just showed us stuff we already knew, which was kind of cool. So, yeah. Yeah. So it just it looks great. Um, I will say that there is a character in the Deadpool trailer that is hooded, has some kind of weird mask contraption and is carrying a gun and the Internet's freaking out because they're saying it's Dr. Doom. Um, Cool, maybe. I don't know. Like when you look at the picture, like there's a side by side that I found that makes me look okay. I'm with you, but I don't. I don't want to jump the bandwagon and say, ooh, it's Dr. Doom. You know, we did have that Lavertra reference in um, Moon Knight, and uh, we're getting closer to Fantastic Four, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, so I think we're getting to Dr. Doom, but I don't know if that is him or not. I mean, it'd be really cool if it was, but it's just, it was such a quick glimpse, but the internet's like, it's Dr. Doom. Oh, and I really like that the title is Deadpool and Wolverine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and uh, uh, Hugh Jackman tweeted a image of an alternate poster, and he says, I fixed the poster, and it said Wolverine and that other asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Which made me laugh. I was like, God, that's awesome. So, And those yeah, guys I... just like to make fun of each other and whatnot. Um, all right, and Marvel news. We're going to stick with Marvel for a little bit. Um, in other Marvel news, we have Mark Ruffalo. This, okay, I he's either in the movie or he's not in the movie. Mark Ruffalo confirms Hulk's appearance in Captain America Brave and Bold. Captain America Brave New World, not Brave and Bold. That's a DC thing. So <laughs> uh, Mark Ruffalo says he's going to be in Captain America 4. Awesome. We're going to see the Hulk, or we'll, at least see Captain, or we'll at least see Mark Ruffalo. We'll see Bruce Banner or the Hulk. Either way, that's cool, right? Well, right after he said that, then I jump over to, so that was via comicbook.com. And then Nerdist reports, Mark Ruffalo will not be in Captain America Brave New World. <laughs> That's um, So, yeah. Um, they, they pulled the story really fast. So are they trying to hide the fact that he's in the movie? Or is he not in the movie and he misspoke? I don't know. I guess we're going to find out. So is it? I don't know if this is online rumors or if this is supported by anything, but is Red Hulk supposed to be in Captain America Brave New World? Well, Red Hulk should be in Thunderbolts from what we understand from the casting announcement that they made for Thunderbolts. Yeah, because I, I saw a um, I saw a fan art like poster of uh, a Brave New World and it had um you know, like Sam in the, like, Captain uh, American getup sure. from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And behind him, there was, like, a big, like, Red Hulk silhouette. And I don't know if that's just fan art. I don't know if it's rumors or wishful thinking or if, you know, if we're going to see some sort of presence of 
uh, Red Hulk in this movie. But I mean, if you're going to have Red Hulk in there, it would make sense that Mark Ruffalo would make a cameo <laughs> at least, you know, but uh, right. I guess it's only time is going to tell how that's going to play out. Yeah, um, we'll see. <laughs> um, let's talk about just moving on. We're going to talk about Fantastic Four casting announcements. Did you see this? Yes, of course. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, Fantastic Four. Pedro Pascal will be playing Reed Richards. Uh, I think we kind of already knew that. Uh, Vanessa Kirby as Sue Storm. Um, Once again, I called it. I'm right. I was happy about it. Awesome. Vanessa Kirby's awesome. I can't wait to see her as Sue Storm. Um, Joseph Quinn as Johnny Storm. Joseph Quinn was from um, Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. And Eben Moss Bacharach, if I'm saying that right, is Ben Grimm. I don't. In my mind, I was like, when I, he, I believe, is from The Bear, the show The Bear. Um, I think, if I'm drawing my connection right, I did not look him up. I just believe that's who that is. Um, And I know I've seen him in something else. That's the other thing. So I just didn't look him up before tonight's show because I was trying to, there was a lot of news to pull together tonight. So So, um, um, I have his IMDb page pulled up. he is in the bear. Um, it also says he's known for girls. Um, he plays David Lieberman and the Punisher, um, as well as a couple other things. But uh, yeah, those might be the main ones. Okay. Um, okay. Well, anyway, I'm pleased with the casting thus far. You know, um, I don't know. Um, I don't really have any problem with the casting. Um, we've talked in the past about how you get all bent, uh, butthurt over the casting and then. You know, everyone starts screaming and moaning, and then they show a trailer or a poster, and you're just like, oh, no, I get it. <laughs> you know, so. So, um, so to me, the only one that doesn't seem like he fits is uh, Pedro Pascal. Like, we've talked right. about this before. Like, it's hard to picture him as Reed Richards. But, again, I mean, he's a great actor, and you might see the movie, and it might be spot-on perfect. So, it, you can't say too much too soon. I have, I'm kind of with you, where, like, I have no problem with this casting, but at the same time, none of it makes me go, like, yes! Like, that's great! You know, like, it's it's all kind of like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. So, uh, uh, that's I, I take. Vanessa Kirby is the one that makes me go, yes, good call. You know? True. Um, but that's just because I think she's a good actress, and I was down when that was in the possible possibility folder you know and i i think the possibility like that most of these castings were already rumored that really factors into the excitement factor with this so sure (laughs) sure well we're gonna see how fantastic four does because we're getting another battle of the titans in terms of marvel versus dc because if they're not releasing on the same date but uh fantastic four and superman legacy both come out in july of 2025 oh that's great um, Fantastic Four is supposed to be released on July 25th of 25, and Superman Legacy is July 11th. So that is, I think this is really cool. Um, I think both first first superhero versus the first family. <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah, that's where I was going with it. You have Superman who started super like superhero comics in general, and then you have the Fantastic Four, which was like basically like a last like hail mary effort by stan lee like he was actually going to leave uh comic books in general because he didn't like how uh he was forced to write at like a uh like more juvenile level that he wanted and stuff and he did the fantastic four as like kind of this last last ditch effort of like 
let me write something the way I want to write it. And if they fire me, so be it. But I'm going to write something that's smart. I'm going to write something that is adventurous. And it's something that's going to be presented how I want this medium to be presented. And he created the Fantastic Four and the rest is history. And, you know, from there, you have this long lineage of iconic Marvel superheroes that came from that. But yeah, both uh, superhero the you know Fantastic Four and uh, Superman they both have very historic places in the pantheon of like comic book history so that's really cool you know yeah uh, what did you say it was July 2025 yeah so it's July 11th for Superman Legacy and July 25th for Fantastic Four both uh 2025 that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a cool month <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a cool month. So <laughs> start working on your costumes now. <laughs> yep, and make sure your wallet's ready for the theater. Um, now and finally in Marvel news, have you been? Have you? When was the last time you turned on the Marvel tab on Disney Plus? Uh, it's been a it's been a little bit. It's been a minute <laughs> as well because you're you're waiting for stuff to drop, but at the same time, when things do drop. They put them right at the face of Disney Plus, so you don't have to go to the Marvel tab. It's like, ooh, yeah. it's right there. Um, so I turned on the Marvel tab because I read an article about something, and I was like, I want to see if, how they had it laid out. This confirmed a lot of my suspicions, okay, in terms of, you know, when we have those conversations about watching the movies in release order and people argue, well, there's a couple movies, you know, how do I watch the Marvel movies? Well, you watch them in release order. And then some people will say, no, you got to watch Captain America first because it takes place during World War II. And then you watch um, Captain Marvel because it takes place in the 90s. Then you watch Iron Man. All right. We can argue about that all day because I, I still think Iron Man should be the first thing you watch because of that really set the stage for where they were going. That yeah. being said, that being said. The two arguments that I was constantly making when people were telling me to watch stuff in the release order, I said the big ones you have to move are Black Panther and Spider-Man Homecoming because of their association with Civil War. You have to adjust them to a different slot. So, And I was using dialogue cues and the bonus scenes to explain where they sit, right? Yeah. So if you go onto the tab that says uh, – if you go into Marvel – they have this thing titled um, it's the um, it's listed as the Infinity Saga timeline and it's the movies in release order, release order. But below it, you will see in um, then you'll see the multiverse saga timeline, which starts after Endgame and runs with all the shows embedded. So like WandaVision and uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and, you know, Loki and then the movies that fell in place. Right. Because you're in your this new timeline. Right. Okay. Then then they have another uh, line down that says complete Marvel timeline. That's what it says. And it starts with Captain America. Then it's Captain Marvel then it's Iron Man, or then it's Captain, oh, sorry, Captain America, Captain Carter, Captain Marvel, Iron Man, and then it goes, right? But here's the catch. They embedded every single show, every single bonus scene separated and on its own tab to watch. 
including the Daredevils, the Punishers, the Jessica Jones, everything in full, complete timeline order. They moved, and they even moved uh, Black Panther and uh, Spider-Man back to where they should be, which is where I was saying they were supposed to be. <laughs> um, it's kind of cool, because like there's breaks for where all the bonus scenes are, and they have a little file embedded where the bonus scenes are. Um, it's nice. really cool. It's really cool that they did that. So if you were, and if you're legitimately going, how do I watch this in proper order? Well, I know there's a bunch of TV shows sprinkled throughout, but that's part of the timeline. You start right there and you go, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so are you, uh, when are you going to start rewatching? <laughs> yeah. Right. I, <laughs> um, I just thought it was cool that they'd set that up. So, yeah, that, that, that is pretty neat. Um, that is one of the great things about disney plus because don't they do something similar with uh star wars like you can watch everything yeah they have the star wars stuff in order um the difference between the star wars stuff is there's uh it's it's set up as in like episode one two clone wars movie clone wars cartoon three bad batch like that they have it set like that if you really wanted to get into the minutia, there's a point in the Clone Wars cartoon where you should stop watching it to watch episode three, oh. then watch the final three episodes of Clone Wars and then continue on. And I would love to see them do that, but that's OK. Like, they don't have to get into that level of minutia. That's something for like a super fan like me going, no, 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 no. This is how you watch it. <laughs> well, we know we know uh, Disney's listening. So uh, yeah, get on I- that. I know you're listening, Disney, so fix that for me. That is one of the cool things about the app, though, is that they have those, like, complete series, timeline order. Like, you can just marathon through this for a couple months or (laughs) however long it takes to get through all that. But it is pretty neat. Yeah. Um, All right. Uh, Continuing on. um, In quick fashion, since we're on the Disney Marvel stuff, Apparently, Mandal- the Mandalorian and Grogu, the movie that was just announced, will be uh, hitting theaters in 2026. I feel like that's I feel like that's really fast, and I feel like that means they're already like shooting. I could be wrong, but that's not very far away from us. Yeah, it's easy to forget we're in 2024 right now, so... Right, like, it, <laughs> like, it feels really fast. Like, they have to be well under production if they're telling us that. So, who knows? Um, but I'm excited to see it because I think we really could use... And I think Star Wars is doing great stuff in terms of their television stuff, but we really need a movie back in the theater. So... Yeah, good um, Another movie that's about to hit theater is Disney is surprising everyone with a Moana sequel in November. And when I say surprising everybody, we know there's a live action coming. But no, this is another animated Moana film that's going to hit theaters in November. And I'm like, I appreciate the announcement that a new Moana film's coming, but how did they keep that quiet? (laughs) Like, they kept it quiet for so long. If it's hitting in November, the movie's got to be almost finished, if not ready to roll. So... That is pretty wild. I haven't heard anything about this, like, at all. <laughs> I don't know how to get that under wraps. I don't know, were they just sitting on this for a while, and then they decided it was the right time to release it? Oh, by the it? way, we got Moana coming. <laughs> you know. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, all right, 
let's shift in gears and head over to DC for a minute. According to uh, DCU leaks, um, a Teen Titans film is an early development. Now, I don't know if this comes directly from James Gunn or this DCU leaks had an interview with James Gunn and he let something slip that a Teen Titans thing is in development. I wouldn't be shocked if a Teen Titans movie is in development. Um, I think that could be really, really cool for the younger crowd. Um, I would I would love to think that if they were going to do a Teen Titans movie, they would set it up the way they would set, set it up the way like Young Justice did. Um, because Young Justice pulled on, it was primarily about the Titans, but it was also like pulled on some of the bigger characters. So like Batman had a cameo, Superman had a cameo. Yeah. Uh, it made the universe look bigger. And if you're going to be casting and doing all these other movies, why wouldn't you, you know? So it's, um, yeah, Young Justice did have that really good, um, formula to it where it starts out and it's just the justice league training like their younger counterparts and then of course you know somebody becomes a rebel in the group and has to go try to stop some crime when they didn't have clearance to do that and then batman and superman are mad at the team but it's cool how young justice started as that like sort of justice league and training sort of thing and then branched off into its own storylines and uh, i think what you're saying is true like logistically that makes a lot of sense as a story but teen titans such a smart call like there's a group of people who are in their like 20s who grew up with the teen titans animated series and then there's a group of people in high school right now who grew up with teen titans go and like it makes sense like just make that movie you know everybody wants yeah. to see it you know? yeah um also in dc news First off, I never thought I'd be saying that I would that we would potentially be seeing a live action Plastic Man. And I say that with the sense of I shouldn't be surprised because every time I say that, they're always like, oh, hey, by the way, we're doing live action this. Um, but apparently there's a live action Plastic Man film coming. I shouldn't be surprised about the character is what I'm saying, because yeah. not. I'm just it's not a character I would have thought to do a live action film for the part that. <laughs> really surprises me is Darren Aronofsky is rumored to be in talks to direct it. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> right. And if you don't know Darren Aronofsky's work, uh, Black Swan is one of the best examples of his work because that's what, I think it's one of the most more recent films that he directed, which is a wonderful, amazingly like creepy mind F of a movie, but he's going to be doing plastic man. Okay. <laughs> You know, um, he's, um, yeah. I, where do I even begin? I didn't know about this, but this is super interesting. Um, you know, he's also known for, um, movies like mother and, uh, the fountain, I think he did. Yeah. And uh, a lot of his movies are pretty divisive and they're pretty esoteric. Like they're the type of movie that people go see and they don't understand. And, uh, kind of on the same level as, uh, Zack Snyder in a lot of ways like we've talked about how people saw Sucker Punch and they didn't understand it so they hate the movie and um, I feel like Darren Aronofsky is a little more maybe critically acclaimed than Zack Snyder but I feel like he's got that same sort of presence where with the divisiveness of it and uh, so it's kind of crazy if they're going this route and uh, I can't imagine him doing a superhero film but I think the Snyderverse is the closest 
thing we have to that that we could compare it to until we actually see it. And I don't even know what to think of it. <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> right. Um, all right. Also, technically, this isn't DC um, fashion, too, because uh, they have the comic book rights, but it's more of on the uh, film side of it. So remember the uh, uh, reboot to Masters of the Universe that was going to happen and then they canceled it? The live action one? Yeah, the live action one. Yes. You remember this? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Netflix was going to do a lot because they got the show. Uh, they got the animated uh, Masters of the Universe uh, Revolution. And now they were going to and Netflix was going to do a live action Masters of the Universe movie reboot, um, which I was like, cool. And then Netflix canceled that. So that was no longer going to happen. Well, apparently Amazon, who owns MGM, is they are now looking at potentially like bringing it back and getting it back on track. According to reports, um, Travis Knight, who directed Bumblebee, is in talks to come on as a director. <laughs> nice. um, and it'll be written by Paranorman director and co-writer uh, Chris Butler. Um, so that's kind of cool. Um, the thing, though, that they were saying was is that Amazon was originally looking for it to be a theatrical release, but now they're looking at possibly just releasing it straight to streaming. So you might have it directly on Amazon Prime. You might wake up one morning and like, oh, time to watch Masters of the Universe. So that might be actually a really cool thing because some of their streaming stuff does really well, like Marvelous Miss Maisel, The Boys, Vox Machina. Um, there's some good stuff on there that Amazon puts out um, in terms of their streaming services, in terms of the streaming stuff that they do. So that could be the perfect place for it. Yeah, and I, I don't really care if it comes... I mean, I think if it comes out in theaters, like that would be really fun and really cool. But at the end of the day, I just want a good movie. So however they release it, I'll be happy with that. Um, the coolest part about the story is, uh, and I forgot the, the name of the director, but the guy who did Bumblebee, the one thing he did for the Transformers movies is the opening scene of Bumblebee is so awesome, like where you have this big battle scene on uh, Cybertron, and the way the Transformers are depicted was much closer to the 80s animated series than we'd ever seen in live action up to that point. And oh. that director brought back the blocky designs for Transformers, and uh, it was just awesome, you know? And I think my one takeaway with that when it relates to this story is this is probably an 80s cartoon guy, and this is probably a guy who wants the visuals and the representation of the source material to be right, and I think that's great. So he did a great job with Bumblebee, but let's see what does he do with Masters of the Universe and how true is he going to be to those original designs? Like he's he's been he's he has a good track record. So let's just hope he can uh, keep it up, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And knowing and it's funny when you brought up the Transformers and I wasn't even thinking this until you started talking was because he directed Bumblebee. Um those are both Mattel properties, Transformers and Masters of the Universe. Right. Uh, so I didn't even think about that until you started talking. Like, oh, wait a minute. So, yeah, it could be cool. Um, I look forward to it if it's actually going to happen. Um, <laughs> you already know Transformers is crossing over with G.I. Joe. So maybe yeah. the sequel can bring in the Masters of the Universe characters. Yeah, That'd right. be pretty cool. <laughs> All right. And final story of the night. Did you know that Emperor Palpatine has sex? 
Oh, geez. I saw something about this. Ian McDiarmid, the actor who plays Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars, was chatting with IGN, who must have asked about the Palpatine, Ray, grandfather, granddaughter lineage. Like, how could that be? Um, this is what Ian McDiarmid had to say. He does have sex. It's a horrible idea to think of Palpatine having sex in any shape or form. But... Perhaps he didn't. Maybe it's all to do with midichlorians. And don't ask me what those are either. <laughs> uh, so I just thought that was a really funny response. Sometimes actors have to do that and play the funny card. But, hey, you know, it's not something we've ever decided to think about or try to explore. <laughs> so The way he answered that, and especially if you get into the minutia of, like, the Star Wars lore, I think the way he answered that is actually a perfect answer. <laughs> so we can right. probably leave it at that. Um, yeah. Another thing that reminds me of is I remember hearing about how, I think it was like in the Silver Age or something, um, I heard like some interview with some old like DC artist or something who was told that like, it was either Batman or Superman were never to be depicted in a bathroom, like DC superheroes don't use the bathroom and as much as that's kind of silly like sometimes I feel like there should be some mystery behind <laughs> what happens with some of these iconic characters behind closed doors like I don't want to know about uh, Palpatine's sex life I don't want to know about Batman's bowel movements let's get to like uh, you know blowing up planets and fighting crime that's what I want to know about <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, that kind of brings us to the end of the news. You want to talk about tonight's list? Uh, for sure. Perfect. All right, guys, we're going to roll uh, the thing and we'll be right back. And now for the top five. Okay, this week, Peter, it was my pick, and I thought, I thought, let's go back in time, let's hop in the Wayback Machine and take a look at movies from 20 years ago and have a conversation. So tonight we're looking at the movies uh, from 20, 2004, I almost said 2004, 2004 <laughs> is the movies we're looking at. Um, there's a lot of movies. This was a massive year. And in terms of my uh, film count, I always give a count of how many of them I've seen. This might be the most I've ever seen out of a year that we've done. Oh, okay. a, to a total of 123 films I saw that year. <laughs> that's, um, that's hilarious. <laughs> I know. I seriously think that's my long. I think that's my biggest count. And as I was writing them down, because I always write down, I always make I, the list I make is what I saw. And I make that I start that as my short list. So I literally was like, just I kept writing and I kept writing. And I'm like, oh, my God, this movie and then this movie and then this movie. It was a crazy it was a massive year for movies. I'm like, I'm not even out of January yet. Holy cow. You know, like <laughs> so. So I laughed because uh, I had a uh, 64 films that I've oh. seen this year. So uh, right. a little bit above uh, half of what you. <laughs> what you saw but um oh there was a lot of stuff that came out and uh yeah there's a lot of good movies and some good like comedies and it's kind of all over the map with this one so sure well so i also always mention what was the best picture for the year so when we talk about a year what was the best picture that year 
This sent me down a rabbit hole that I never thought I would go down because the internet is wrong in a thousand places. Okay, so, and I say that because, so I Google, so every time I do a list, uh, IMDB on their website or their app has this really cool thing under movies where you can pull up the entire list of best picture winners. And it's literally by year, it just counts and it shows you the title. And so it's, so every time I sit down to discuss and say, we talk about a year, I say, this is how many movies I saw. This is the best picture winner for the year. Now let's talk about the list. If you look at the IMDB list, it shows 2004 crash. Right next to it, it shows 2004 million dollar baby. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's clearly a typo. I wonder if they meant to be 2003. No, just below it, it says 2003 Lord of the Rings Return of the King. And then above it, it says above Million Dollar Baby, it says 2005, whatever the 2005 movie was. And I'm like, OK, something's not right here. So I Google what was the best picture winner for 2004. And it says Lord of the Rings Return of the King. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll love this. Then I Google release date for Lord of the Rings to Return of the King. December 17th, 2003. Okay, then, <laughs> then I Google um, what year did Crash come out, and it said Crash released in two thousand four and won Best Picture. And then I and then I Google what year did Million Dollar Baby come out, and it said Million Dollar Baby released in two thousand four and won Best Picture. And I'm like looking at the list of movies for the, <laughs> and, and I know I saw Crash, but Crash is not on my list of movies I saw in two thousand four. <laughs> So this gets better. Then I Google the Wikipedia to find out when certain movies came out. And I don't normally dig through Wikipedia for answers. However, Lord of the Rings, according to Wikipedia, released in 2023 and won the best picture for, tw I'm sorry, 2023, released in 2003 and won best picture that year. Million Dollar Baby released in 2004 and won Best Picture that year. Crash released in 2005 and won Best Picture that year. The Departed uh, was 2006 and so on and so on. So I was like, ooh, I found my answer. But when I go back to the list, it's like I was like blown away by how everyone is like wrong. <laughs> yeah. So I'm assuming that Wikipedia is actually correct on this. And Million Dollar Baby was Best Picture winner that year. I so. think that's accurate because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that Crash did win in 2005. Like, that sounds right to me, but I well, really don't know. So where I and, think uh, people are confusing it is if Crash won in 2005, that's because the Oscar ceremony is in 2005, but the movie released in 2004. Or I'm sorry, in, do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, where does it release? Yeah. So Million Dollar Baby was released in 2004, but the Oscar ceremony where it won was 2005. Yes. Does that make sense? So Lord of the Rings released in 20, 2003, but the ceremony was in 2004, so it's marked as the wrong year. So somewhere, people aren't paying attention. <laughs> so... <laughs> I don't want to say it was the early days of the internet, but it was... The internet was in a different place in 2004 and it might just be a lot of hearsay copy paste 
incorrect sure. information. But could you see that? Can you see that funny rabbit hole that I went down trying to figure out who actually won Best Picture? Of the year? Oh, I got you. <laughs> um. So yeah, Million Dollar Baby, Best Picture winner that year. I know it won Best Picture. I watched that award show. All right. Nice. Getting onto the list. Um, this movie this year again was a massive list. A lot of stuff to talk about. Um, I do have two honorable mentions. I don't know if you found this easy or difficult or whatever, but yeah. So. No, it, it was pretty easy. Um, yeah, I, I we were talking before the show, and I was like, years are always the easiest. They're just they take a little longer to write down every movie you saw and sort through them, but. Yeah, I, I didn't think it was too hard to put together in general. So, <laughs> yeah. all right. So, do you have two honorable mentions or? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I guess I can just jump right in. Yeah. Um, my first pick, um, a movie that I've talked about on the podcast a couple times before, but uh, I went with The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Uh, this is a uh, Wes Anderson film uh, starring. Bill Murray, as well as Willem Dafoe, as well as a bunch of other great actors. But this is a movie I kind of saw on a whim. Like, I think I saw with uh, the girl I was dating at the time or something. And uh, I just remember being enchanted by the the presentation of the movie as a whole. You know, it has that Wes, Wes Anderson sort of like indie flair to everything. But it was also an adventure movie. Um, it also featured a lot of... Uh, really cool intricate stop motion animation um it also had a great soundtrack um i remember uh you know so there's so many david bowie songs featured on the soundtrack but it also has like an awesome score by mark mothersbaugh and stuff like that and um also just like it's a hilarious film like it's it's I think it's one of my favorite Wes Anderson films, but I think it's part of that's because some of the jokes in this movie stick with me more so than other ones. So, uh, yeah, great film. I've talked about this one. a couple You times, have. So it's I don't... a really, really funny movie. And I knew when I saw it on the list, I'm like, Peter will be putting this on his list at the very <laughs> least. And it'll be an honorable mention for sure. <laughs> so. Um, all right. So my first honorable mention um, is a movie we talked about before. I love it. Um, Dodgeball. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't not mention it, this movie tonight. Um, it's and the big thing is, is it's a it's a rewatchable movie on many levels. Like it's it's a movie that I will stop flipping channels for. It's a movie that, you know, we quote on occasion like it's it's hilarious, like ESPN 8 the Ocho. You know what I mean? Like, it's fantastic. Um, there was a trailer I saw recently that featured ESPN 8 the Ocho. What movie was that? I was That's laughing great. when I saw it. I was like, oh, that guy clearly is a big fan of dodgeball. Shoot, I'm drawing a blank. He was in a trailer. I'm going to have to remember what that was. But yeah, dodgeball. That's my first honorable mention for the night. So this is a movie. Speaking of rewatchability, I'm pretty sure I saw this movie twice in theaters <laughs> and I wasn't even trying to. It's one of it's just was one of those things where I had different groups of friends that invited me to go see it when it came out. <laughs> but I remember thinking the movie was funny, but um, I also thought the movie was kind of dumb and silly. But it's one of those movies that over time, the jokes stick with you. And I think this movie has like a weird lasting power to it where st people are still, like you said, are still repeating dodgeball jokes. <laughs> and like, who knew after all these years, people would be still talking about dodgeball. So um I don't know. In my opinion, I think they need to do a sequel to this one. I think that'd be pretty great. But uh, yeah, good stuff. 
Yeah. All right, man. What's your next? Uh, well, no, they are doing that sequel. They got Vince Vaughn's moving forward. Remember? No, I didn't realize that. So we talked about this like a few months ago. It's on one of our episodes. Ben Stiller was well, the whole out, but Vince Vaughn's like, no, we're moving forward. <laughs> yeah, I must I must have forgot about that. But that is actually awesome. Uh, perfect. Yeah. Anyway, uh, um, what's your next round? We'll mention. Yeah, uh, the next one I went with another movie we've talked about quite a bit, but I went with uh, Dawn of the Dead, the uh, James Gunn, Zack Snyder reboot of the classic zombie film. Uh, this is this is a great zombie movie. It's one of the best zombie movies, especially when you're looking at a sort of like post millennial era of zombie movies. I think this one is definitely really high up there. Um, it brought the scares, it brought the intensity, it brought the fast zombies, but it also has like a great story and some really great characters that will stick with you. Um, so yeah, this, this one's a great one. So that's the next pick I went with. Yeah. I love this movie. So I'm with you. <laughs> um, and we've talked about it a ton. No, I absolutely love Dawn of the Dead. It's one of the best zombie movies out there. Um, all right. Uh, my next honorable mention is Eurotrip. Again, nice. again, a phenomenal comedy. Uh, rewatchability. Um, I do think this movie is far superior to Road Trip. I don't care what you say. I'm putting my foot down on that one. Um, I think it's a much better film. I mean, Scotty doesn't know. Let's be real. Um, that's not where I. This isn't where I parked my car. Too many great moments. Um, <laughs> the movie is like hilarious from the beginning all the way to the end. I don't really feel like even the down moments, I don't really feel like there's down moments in the movie, even when they're trying to be serious. There's, it's still a funny movie. Um, it just, it keeps moving. It's much more action packed. Yeah. Great movie. Um, there's a weird sort of, it's funny that you say that this is better than road trip. Cause I think. They're both raunchy teen comedies, right? But for yeah. some reason, feel like road trip in some moments like for certain jokes they go a little too raunchy like it gets a little too graphic and euro trip i feel like even though it's raunchy it's adult there it's all about sex and drugs there is like a sort of innocence to the characters and it doesn't like linger on any of the raunch too long that i think makes euro trip a little bit more palatable and in a weird way maybe ages better even though i think this movie <laughs> probably ages horribly and uh, i don't have to bury the lead this was actually the first pick i was gonna go with <laughs> for my list so my number five pick is euro trip this is uh i think this is a extremely dumb silly movie but it is one of my favorites it's uh it's hilarious i love watching it part of it's just I'd love to go with a group of friends and backpack across Europe and have weird random adventures like that looks so awesome to me. So it's it's part that sort of vicarious living thing, but it's part just I love the movie. I love the characters. I love the Scotty doesn't know gag. I love the adventure they go on. Uh, this movie always brings a smile to my face. So sure. Um, well, it's cool that you bring that up because my first pick of the night is Dawn of the Dead. Okay. <laughs> so it's like you and I flipped um, in terms of there. That's why I didn't want to say too much more. But yeah, man, I love Dawn of the Dead. So I can talk about it very briefly and just say it's one of the it's one of my favorite uh, zombie films. It's one of the better. It's one of probably one of Zack Snyder's best films he's ever done. Um, yeah. So that was that's about it. Go watch Dawn of the Dead because it's fantastic. And go watch Eurotrip while you're at it if you've never seen it. Yeah. Um, so I don't 
don't know if you mentioned, but this uh, this list is ranked since it's a year. And I say that because uh, speaking of Dawn of the Dead, my number four pick is actually Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> and uh, this is another movie, goofy comedy, but Dawn this is... Films, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is this is Edgar Wright at his finest. And the finest. rest of my li- and the rest of my list is all artsy. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Uh, but yeah, Edgar Wright at his finest. Uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost at their finest. Uh, this is a movie that I feel I think it's pretty timeless because it's a slacker comedy. It's a zombie movie. Both of those genres are never going to go out of style. They have great jokes when it comes to music, when it comes to culture, when it comes to zombie movies. But it has like so much like great situational comedy when it comes to the group of people that uh, Sean's surrounded by in this film. But the movie is brilliant because it works as that sort of parody, like just hilarious comedy. But it also works as a zombie film. And I think that's really seen when you look at how both like comedy fans and like the horror fan base have really embraced this movie and i think this one has also really stood the test of time so uh yeah great stuff Shaun of the dead all right well so like i said my the rest of my list is actually artsy uh <laughs> right on <laughs> so the next list the next movie i have is the movie collateral uh by michael uh director michael mann uh, Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx. Um, I am completely drawing a blank on the girl right now. I want to say it's Jada Pinkett Smith, but I think that's wrong. Um, I could Google it right now. But um, yeah, so Tom Cruise. So Jamie Foxx is a cab driver who's, you know, trying to start his own like limo business. So it's just kind of like pay the bills, be the cab driver while he makes money. Picks up a girl. For a fair, she wants him to go to this office building. She tells him one way to go, and he's like, "There's a faster way." And she's like, "Are you with me?" He's like, "He's like here," and he he sees that it's a little flirty. So he's like, "If I'm right, you know, I'll pay for your fee. Like, you know, you're fair. You know what I mean? Fair's on me if I'm right or something like that. It's like whatever the bet is." So um, he takes her her way. Well, unbeknownst to Jamie Fox, Tom Cruise is getting off an airplane. And working his way through the city because he is a contract killer who has a hit on the girl and his cab. And in the midst of all of it, Jamie Foxx finds out. So we know he's trying to get the girl away from Tom Cruise. This is Tom Cruise being a bad guy, which you don't often get. But it's like a really cool movie in terms of how it's shot, how it's put together, how the story's woven. It's got... um. It almost has this uh, real gritty look to the photography um, in, a, in, a, in a real gritty, real sense, almost like you're there when you're watching it. Um, have you seen this movie, Peter? I've, I've never seen this one. OK, um, if if you like Heat, for example, like Michael Mann, because Michael Mann directed Heat. If you like Heat, I think you really should check out this movie. It's it's awesome. Um and it's literally like one guy hunting down a girl and the other guy trying to save her and not let her die. Um, and the plot kind of goes and you find out why and all that stuff later as the plot moves. But it's it's such a good, well put together story. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I, I did pull up the IMDb page. It is Jada Pinkett Smith who is in this movie. OK. Um, and I haven't seen this one, but it sounds it sounds awesome. So. Um, I think it's one of those things where this movie came out and then 
you don't hear this movie brought up a lot, so it's kind of just slept on, I think, probably by a lot of yeah. people <laughs> in this day and age. So Yeah. Anyway, uh, what's your next one? Yeah, so speaking of artsy, I actually went with uh, Kill Bill Volume 2 um, as my next pick. Hey, we matched this. on this. At, on the number three spot? Yes, on the number three spot. Oh, okay. <laughs> which which literally never happens. Um, but let's talk about Kill Bill 2. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm not I think... kidding. I'm not, this is, I'm not even joking. I'm on, on the number three spot. We matched on this. Uh, I, I think that's pretty funny. Um Kill Bill Volume 2, I think you have the first film, and I think the first film wowed us from not just a story uh, perspective, but also a filmmaking perspective, the cinematography, the storytelling, the inventiveness and experimentation, like including a uh, animated flashback and including all the crazy camera effects and lighting effects and everything. And Kill Bill Volume 2 continues all that but in a much more subtle way, like Kill Bill Volume 2 is a lot more, the inventiveness is a lot of it's more so the dialogue than the spectacle. And I think, um, I feel like both movies, both volumes kind of show both sides of the genius of Quentin Tarantino, where Kill Bill Volume 1 focuses on the experimentation, the dynamism, the visual spectacle and kill bill volume volume two like even though all those elements are still there it focuses on the intricate dialogue and storytelling and they both do such an effective job and uh i don't know this was just an awesome an awesome movie but i did appreciate how this one is very uh story focused you know what i mean as opposed to uh the first one i mean it's still there but i love how this one is so story focused and it shows how you don't need the spectacle you just need that hard-hitting like amazing dialogue and writing you know what i mean so uh, i don't know what are your thoughts on kill bill volume two for this list so <laughs> i'm i'm one of the people in the camp so i this is kill bill is one of my favorite tarantino movies of all time and i'm in the camp that because he made two movies at the same time actually he made one movie and then split it in half you know what I mean? Like, that's essentially what he did. And you have the first film, which is basically the action film. And it's exciting <laughs> and it's violent and it's gory and it's funny and you laugh and you cry and you're excited and you're with it. And you want to see what's happened next. And it's your edge of your seat roller coaster ride. But then in Tarantino fashion, the second movie, which is technically the back half, is, a, is more of a classic Tarantino movie. With the long dialogue, the static shot, the static uh, camera shots, um, it's not filled with the action, but he's building intensity in a different way, and it's almost more gripping, and like so, it's like you had your fun, but because of the subject matter, we got to get serious. So you had your fun with the cool action stuff, and now we're into the serious part of the story, and not that the first one wasn't serious. But now we have to get up to that end game. We have to talk about what's going to happen when she gets to Bill finally. And you're building up to this huge um, moment, you know. Um, and I love how the movie opens with Uma Thurman driving. She's driving to Bill's house and it's black yeah. and white and it's black and white. And she's talking to the camera and recapping the first film. But 
you also know that that's technically the end of the movie. So in Tarantino fashion, she might be driving to his house, but now we got to jump back and tell the pieces leading up to her driving to the house. Um, and it just, it has a different, it, uh, to me, it has a different artistic style to it, even though it's the same film because of what he's trying to achieve with this part of the story. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's just incredible in terms of what they, what they were doing with it. And, um, I, I love both movies. There is supposed to be a Blu-ray um, remaster of the film releasing at some point, and I'm hoping it's a version. I'm hoping that it's like, hey, here's Kill Bill one and two. You can watch them the way that is, or here's the extended cut where it's the two of them back to back in one shot. That'd be awesome. Like where there's no break, it just jumps right to the next movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, yeah. that's yeah. I Kill Bill is so good, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that would be pretty cool. But uh, yeah, yeah, really good stuff. Um, we've talked about these movies so much, but uh, yeah, Kill Bill can't go yeah, wrong with Kill Bill. either. All right, man. What's your next? What's your next one? And I know we're not so, gonna match on this on the next one. So yeah. Um. So my next I'll say my that next because pick... I know you haven't seen my next pick. So. <laughs> so uh, for the next movie, I went with uh, Hellboy. Um, the the Guillermo del Toro, uh, Ron Perlman film, uh, Hellboy came out. This uh, came out in 2004, and uh, this is a film that the 2000s is a weird time for superhero films because we yeah. had yes, it was. <laughs> we had like this sort of like seven through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We had this like high where you had you had like the Christopher Reeves films, and you had the Tim Burton Batman films, and then towards the end of the 90s, superhero films got really bad with like Batman and Robin and Steel and stuff. But then in the 2000s, you had stuff like uh, you had like the X Men movies, you had some other film franchises, but there's also like there's movies like Hellboy that came out, and uh, later on like. I think it was 2009 when Watchmen came out and both of those films, I think were way ahead of their time because Hellboy was, it was a superhero film, but it was so esoteric and dark. And it's, it is kind of weird. Like it is such a, the, the, the imagery in this movie is so surreal and some of the storytelling and sort of um, the stuff that the movie hints at when it comes to weird backstory stuff and weird like uh lovecraftian elements and stuff it feels more sophisticated than i think a lot of superhero movies maybe felt at the time and uh i love the hellboy films um i'm a big i'm a big uh guillermo del toro fan i've talked about it quite a bit but i think he's got this really cool approach to whether he's doing a fantasy movie or a monster movie or a horror horror movie i think he's got a really cool approach that while he has like such a mastery of portraying uh he has a mastery of portraying like monsters and horror elements and stuff but he always keeps the focus on uh the humanity of everything like if you watch a movie like mimic which is one of his which is a great film by him you can see how he it's a monster movie but he focuses on the humanity and he focuses on like this character struggling with her religion in this film and uh hellboy i feel like he shows a lot of that as well like on surface level you're like okay so it's kind of like it's almost like a men in black sort of thing where you have this like agency that's fighting, you know, you have the BPRD, they're like fighting against weird supernatural threats. But when it comes to 
Hellboy, when it comes to that character and Ron Perlman's portrayal of it and the way it's written, it focuses on making this grounded personality that you can really latch onto. And uh, that's the genius of it, like the the humanity and the way to relate to the story. And it's an easy thing to watch where you don't realize, no, the imagery that you're going through is so fantastical because the characters are first and foremost, you know, like when you really sit back and look back at the movie that you just watched after seeing Hellboy, there's like weird undead characters. There's weird like Indiana Jones sort of like tomb raided raiding puzzle contraptions you have to go through. There's giant monsters they're fighting. There's so many cool elements, but you don't necessarily think of that. And I think that kind of goes with the genius of uh, Guillermo del Toro. And I'm both rambling and I'm also being like kind of vague, but that's kind of my takeaway because I know we've we've talked about this movie a lot, but I think this I think both the Hellboy movies are like they achieve something that's really hard to do where they're both like popcorn flicks, but they're also like really beautiful films at the same time. So uh, that's kind of uh, what I'm getting at here. So, yeah, you said it all. There's no room for me to talk. Um, <laughs> no. So this movie, my so it was really funny because I didn't really when I first saw this movie, I did not go in knowing, ooh, Del Toro. I went into yeah. this movie going. I know the comic book. This looks cool. The trailer looks great. I like everything I'm seeing. Let's do this. And was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was a fantastic movie Um, from the whether it be the special effects that were computer generated to the practical effects. When you look at like Hellboy's like makeup and the prosthetics and like the big hand and the horns, the way they handled it. And um, Abe, I forget his last name. Uh, Abe, thank you. Um, and like how they handled, like just all of that, like it was just so cool. And it was a world that like, I wanted more from like the BPRD and going into the, um, the, the under the facility where they keep Abe Sapien and like, you know, uh, the study and all that stuff. Like it was just a really cool idea. Um, I love Hellboy's gun, man. Loy, they translated that from page to screen. It looked fantastic, you know? Yeah. Um, then uh, then you throw in the Del Toro angle. And uh, I think it's cool that you brought up Mimic because that's one of my all-time favorite like horror films. I think that movie is so good. Um, and I, I, I haven't watched Mimic in a long time. I know that the CGI might not hold up, but it's a really fun movie. Anyway. Um, well, the, the thing, just as an aside, like the thing about Mimic is you're talking about a movie that focuses on monsters who come out at night and a lot of time when you a lot of the times when you see them they're backlit and stuff so i think there probably is some spotty cgi but the way it's filmed i think it might hold up better than uh either of us realize because it you know the scenes are all like super dark and stuff like that so that would be a really fun one to uh revisit though for the reasons that you're saying so sure um that being said uh yeah hellboy really 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 good movie um in the in the in the realm of uh, early two thousand superhero movies, is probably one of the better uh, superhero movies that came out that I don't think got the credit for being one of the better. Yeah. So, all right. Anyway, so my second to last pick of the night is a movie called Before Sunset. Um, okay. This movie is the sequel, or the second in a trilogy. Um, 
This is a film by Richard Richard Linklater. Um, He did a movie called Before Sunrise, and it was Ethan Hawke and Julie Depley. Um, They're strangers. They meet on a train in France on its way to Vienna. And they start chit-chatting. He gets off the train. I'm recapping the first movie real quick. Um, He gets off the train and is like, I got to get on an airplane, but I don't have anywhere to go. So uh, I was going to walk around town while I wait for the airplane. Do you want to hang out and keep talking? And she decides, why not? So it's literally the two of them walking around the city of Vienna, France, getting to know each other and essentially falling in love. But because they're from two different sides of the world, they have this like pact that they're going to meet one year from that date. Um, They're like, let's meet in a year on this train platform. I'll see you then. You know, don't. Let's not call. Let's not exchange numbers. Let's just make this promise that we'll meet. And then they roll credits. And I always liked it. Be- I always liked the way that ended because did they or didn't they? It becomes that eternal conversation, you know. But the movie is just absolutely wonderful about two people just getting to know each other. But it's an incredibly well put together film. And a handful of years later, he did a movie called Before Sunset. And it's like 10 years after the fact and the characters meet again. But they didn't, but they never, but you find out that he made it, he went back, but she didn't. And they're actually meeting for the first time and they're catching up and it's like, oh my God, you actually went back. I'm so sorry I wasn't there, blah, blah, blah. But again, it's this really fun movie about them catching up. What's interesting about these films is the first film, they're like in their 20s, right? The second film, they're like in their early 30s. And when I watched them, I was in my 20s when I watched the first movie. And then I was in my 30s when I watched the second movie. So it was like they were hitting at these exact points in my life. So things they were discussing on screen, I was living. You know what I mean? Like the way the movie's released and it just hit real hard. Um, The way the movie ends is is very kind of predictable the way the second movie ends. I don't want to ruin it because it was just it's a really good movie. But flash forward they then jump forward in the timeline that in real time, they make a third one called before midnight and it's the same characters again, but now they're married and they have kids and they're trying to live as adults. And again, it released right when I'm getting married and having kids and trying to be adults in the world we live in. So it was like, like I said, it was all hitting at the right, right time. Um, so that's just how it was. Um, but Richard Linklater makes really great movies in general, but this one, these, this trilogy is phenomenal. Um, if you've never seen them, I highly recommend it. They're really cool. They're a bit of a, I refer to them as talking heads films because primarily it's two characters talking for two hours and they're just talking about their lives and asking each other questions and so on. But for some reason it's captivating the way the movie's put together. So Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's all I got. I, I I know you've never seen these, but I absolutely adore this trilogy. So, uh, yeah, and I do have a question about the series, but um, just commenting like Richard Linklater's great. I don't think I've watched enough of his films, but uh, I am really curious about these, especially since um, like we've talked on the podcast, but we're both big like Kevin Smith fans, and I know Richard Linklater is one of his biggest influences. Um. As I'm far as like Kevin Smith has talked about these movies too, but anyway, go ahead. Here we go. 
<laughs> I'm pretty um, sure he has because when he talks about talks about movies and brings up Linklater on occasion, I'm pretty sure he talks about these movies from time to time. So, yeah, uh, fair enough. Um, what I was gonna ask is like, and I don't know where to find uh, these films to watch them, but. If somebody was to watch them, is it one of these things where you have to watch before sunrise and then wait 10 years and then watch the next no. one? <laughs> no. You... <laughs> or could you could you kill could you watch all three of them in a weekend and it you wouldn't could, feel you could watch you can watch all three of them in a weekend. The only thing that I would suggest doing is because of the time jump is put a gap between them. Like don't want don't I... like finish the movie and be like, all right, loading up the next DVD. Here we go. No, I <laughs> I would give like a little bit of a gap, like go have lunch or something, like go take the dog for a walk or something like that. You know what I mean? And then come back and watch, knock out the next one. Um, nice. The second one is a lit. The the second two before sunset and before midnight are a tad shorter than the original film. I think the original one clocked in at the normal two hours, and the other ones were like just a, like an hour forty five or something like that. So they were a little bit shorter, but um. All three are fantastic. Nice. Um, and I don't know where they're streaming either, but I guess we could Google that. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> um, um, but anyway, yeah, that was my number two. So what do you yeah. got for your final pick of the night, my friend? Final pick, my number one movie from 2004. I went with Spider-Man 2. Um, this is a movie that when you talk about standing the test of time, this is a movie that people still point to as being uh, one of the best superhero films. For a while, it was almost like a almost like a universal consensus that this was the best superhero film. But, uh, you know, as time goes on, you know, living in a post Infinity War world, living in a post Endgame world and post Dark Knight and et cetera, et cetera, it's hard to you know, firmly nail that down. But I do think Spider-Man 2 does live on super well. There's a reason we're still talking about it to this day. And uh, you can watch this movie and you can nitpick things. You can say things like, this is the movie where he forgot his powers. Like, that's so ridiculous and stuff. But the problem is, with this movie, every time I think of it, I think about when I was in a, in a theater, when I was like... I don't know. I think I was like a junior in high school or something. And I remember watching this movie and I remember the feeling I got. And I remember the movie ending and wishing that the movie didn't end and how relatable Peter Parker and Spider-Man were in this movie. And I, I, I honestly feel like I haven't related to a Spider-Man as well as I have um, within these like classic Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. But that might be a discussion for a different day. But my main point, just like this movie has stood the test of time because it still gets brought up. And whether you want to nitpick it or not, I think it it does hold a really special place in um superhero movie history and uh there's some campy parts but it's it's sam raimi you're gonna get some of the camp but overall it's just such a fun watch it's so infectious and again it's that feeling like the relatable relatability of the characters um going on the journey with uh these characters that you know and love and uh again when I saw this in theaters, I just didn't want it to end. So that's why it makes my final pick. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one, Drew. We've talked about this movie before. I'm sure we'll talk about yeah, it plenty of 
It's I mean, it is still <laughs> considered it's still considered probably one of the best Spider-Man movies ever. It might actually be like, and I know this like the newer Marvel fans that are going, no, there's no way it's better than you know the Tom Holland stuff. But I really do feel this is probably one of the best Spider-Man movies ever. Doc Ock was incredible. They couldn't have casted that any better. Um, is this was a movie that this was like a legitimate countdown in the house. Like we're all like we have midnight tickets. We're all getting ready to go. And it, you're literally like, dude, six hours to go. This is amazing. Like, you're just excited. Um, and that's a that's a it was a level of excitement in a different way than people get excited about movies nowadays. You know, yes. um, and knowing how important this movie was to the superhero ethos when it comes to film is that this is still talked about because of look what happened with the current Tom Holland Spider-Man. We got Doc Ock back. We got mm-hmm. Peter Parker. We got Tobey Maguire back. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, that's how it was. So good. Um, but yeah, it's incredible. There's some great, there's just some great Spider-Man moments in the movie. Um, all, all around, all over the place. It's just so well made and put together. It's definitely probably one of the best movies of the year. And no offense to Million Dollar Baby, it probably should have been best picture of the year, or at least nominated for it. But that's when they weren't taking comic book movies seriously, you know? Absolutely. And uh, the the last thing I'll say is this movie did deliver so well and it did build up so much goodwill for this franchise that Spider-Man 3, that was another movie where we are all we all had midnight tickets. <laughs> we we're all itching to go see it. And, uh, you know, that one was a little more divisive. Like we saw how that one turned out. But the goodwill from Spider-Man 2 boosted that Spider-Man 3 ticket sales. I remember like almost everybody I know was at a midnight showing for Spider-Man 3. And again, maybe not as good, but uh, still some fun times. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, enough about Spider-Man 3. Um, all right. So my final pick of the night is a movie we've talked about before. I absolutely adore this movie, um, on several levels. It's something I haven't watched in a really long time and I feel like I should, but that's, uh, Miracle. Um, this is the movie about the U S hockey team in the Olympics versus the Russia hockey team. Um, this was the movie that like the way in a, in a true story, um, historic aspect. It's almost like this was the movie that ended the Cold War in the sense that we won. Um, this was a toppling of a Olympic giant, Russia being basically the greatest hockey force ever in the history of the Olympics until the until uh, Winter Olympics 1980, when um, they the U.S. put together a team specifically designed to beat Russia and be the better team and it completely opened up and changed the sport altogether. Um, this movie is incredible from the casting, the writing, um, the direction chosen, um, Kurt Russell's performance, the performance of the actors who played the uh, real life hockey players, uh, putting together the game itself and how, uh, the excitement and intensity it was, even though, you know, the outcome of the movie, because it's history, you're still at the edge of your seat watching this movie. Um, yeah, absolutely amazing. I love this movie from top to bottom. Um, it's probably, I think it's probably if, if someone said, what's your favorite sports movie of all time, it'd be miracle. Um, but yeah, I know you've awesome. seen the movie, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a great film. Um, it tells like an amazing 
amazing sports story and i think it's um it's one of the best sports stories the likes of which we really haven't seen until until taylor swift being at the super bowl <laughs> last weekend <laughs> <laughs> uh j- just just kidding but no the miracle is a great film uh we've talked about it so many times in, my, in the past but my favorite parts of this movie is um i love how larger than life they make this competition and how when they show the russian team just the way it's filmed you feel like you feel like the american team is going up against these like juggernauts like you feel like they're going up against these like these gods that they have to defeat. And it's just because of the filming makes that team feel larger than life. But I also like that, you know, when this uh, Olympics happened, I probably, I don't know if I was even born yet or I was in diapers, but not really being familiar with the story. I remember they just did such a good job of showing the relatability of the story and, um, and just like how impactful it was to uh, the world. And I think the movie really shows the uh, how important and how like culture changing that sports can be. And I think that's a really magic. Uh, it's a magic thing to point out, but I think the the movie did it in a really magical sort of way as well. So, yeah. 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 Well, that was my last pick of the night. Um, so there you go, everybody. Movies from 2004. 20 years ago. Those are our picks. Uh, Peter, what are we doing next week? Your choice. Yes. So next week, I've got another sort of all-encompassing uh, sort of list for you, like one of those lists where we can pull from all angles of pop culture. And I really love these kinds of lists because of the sort of variety that we can go to when it comes to source material. But I realized, like, we've talked about pop culture gadgets. We've talked about kaijus. We've talked about giant robots. But I realize we've never talked about just like regular sized robots. (laughs) So I wanted to talk about our top five favorite robots from pop culture. But this, of course, is going to exclude giant robots because we did talk about that a long time ago. So pretty much any robot is for game. We're just not including, you know, Gundams and Transformers and Jaegers and all that. So I'm going to ask you I'm going to ask you a very loaded question what a is there a difference between in your list robots and droids <laughs> uh personally i was thinking we could include droids um okay. i don't see uh, a problem for those, for those of you who un- don't understand my question george lucas famously used to say that c3po and r2d2 are not robots they're droids and then then you get like android and all that stuff like where do droids fit in your robot conundrum so when i i was thinking about this list i was thinking we could keep it open because it just brings in more of a variety and with that being said you could technically do a list that's nothing but star wars (laughs) droids but uh mine's mine's probably going to have a little bit more variety than that but uh it all adds to the discussion normal size (laughs) (laughs) well they don't have to be normal size it's just excluding those giant is what you're trying to <laughs> remove. So, you know, I, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I understand. All right. Well, everybody, that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Um, Peter, you want to finish this episode out and toss it in the can? Let's go for it. Sure. All right, everybody, do us all a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to our social media, including our email. 
top five report at gmail.com. Either way it works. Uh, hit us up there, the social media. Um, we are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon, Audible. You will, if you subscribe to us, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I'll be talking about how this dollar bill is trying to tell me something. <laughs> to, to paraphrase another 2004 film <laughs> that we didn't talk yes. about. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Uh, well, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. Sure. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.